0: Welcome to another
1: episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. Glad to be with you again. I'm Lynn Wilder.
2: And I'm Joel Grote. And just want to say welcome everyone to 2022. We're excited to kick off another uh, year of the podcast. And we're just so grateful for all of you who listen. Uh, had our web guy pull some stats and we are have gone past 70,000 downloads for the podcast. and. Just wanna encourage you if you like it to share it and to subscribe to it. So, Lynn today, um, you're looking at an article that came out not that long ago in the Salt Lake Tribune.
1: That's been stirring up social media a bit, Joel. These things kind of come and go, but this one hit us big because it, It shows how performance-based the LDS religion really is. And this particular, (laughs) this was a sports writer who wrote this article um, about some of the things that might be changed in the Mormon church. And, of course, the bottom line is you can change all of these things, and the Mormon church would still be a performance-based religion and not a traditional biblical faith.
2: This is true. Um, I found it fascinating that the very title of his column was, um, please don't throw me out of the LDS church for what I wrote in this column. (laughs)
1: In other words, right? If I make these suggestions to the church, I might be in some trouble with the church.
2: Right. And that's usually the case. That's one of the markers of a performance-based religion is, if you are afraid of either getting kicked out or sanctioned simply for asking questions or making suggestions, that's a pretty good sign you're in a controlling kind of top-down religious organization. And it's just not healthy for your spiritual life to be in that sort of place. And it's certainly not how the church was set up originally under the new covenant of grace with freedom. Um, So and the other thing, uh, I don't know if it was his tagline or one of the commentators um, somebody was commenting on the article, but they they were asking the question, so is Gordon Monson's Tribune article a Mormon Martin Luther moment? obviously comparing that to Martin Luther nailing the 95 thesis on the door um, in Wittenberg and sparking the Reformation, which led to a focus on grace. Um, and yet, I I almost laughed because I thought, well, wait a second. Martin Luther's theses were all about how nothing performance related was necessary for you to come to right relationship with God. It wasn't about simply getting rid of a few things. It was about, no, all we need is grace. We don't need an organizational church. We don't need priests to intercede um, for Mm -hmm. us on behalf. So anyway, I just I thought that that comparison was fascinating.
1: We don't need these extra biblical and additional rules one on another on another that the Catholic Church was doing at the time. In particular, the Catholic Church was making people pay for indulgences um, yes. for the hope that some dead relative could get out of purgatory faster and go to heaven. Uh, purgatory exactly. being. A- kind of like Mormon Mormon uh, spirit spirit prison prison afterwards. None of those things are biblical. Those things belong to performance-based religion.
2: Yes. So anyway, it's fascinating to see, but there is this foment. I mean, there is this sense within um, the whole LDS church movement, I think in a broad way, and not just here in the United States, but I think it's rippling out even into other places around the world. But this idea that there are these rules and regulations that aren't biblical, and they aren't helpful to people's spirituality, they aren't helpful to their life, they're actually uh, restrictive, um, in some cases, shaming. And so he's got these 20 things, I thought, we're not going to comment on the whole article, that's not the point. But we did want to bring up some of them just to say, Mm -hmm. okay, so what's at the core of this within the LDS system? Why, you know, why do people feel that way? And then what's kind of the biblical response to that and you know how should we kind of view it so I didn't know if you had any favorites or anyone you wanted to start off with but
1: no let's just start at the top shall we so the the first one he says that uh, the Mormon Church needs to be a little more lenient about what people are allowed to do on Sunday, right? That you should yes. be able to play and work on Sunday, not just sit around in your Sunday vest and read your scriptures all day long. Um, of course, in biblical Christianity, there are not those kind of Sabbath rules, right, Joel?
2: Right. I mean, not that people don't hold them, but they're not something that's normative for everyone. And you and I have talked about this, I don't know if past podcasts, but we are even commenting off air, the fact that within biblical Christianity, there are kind of like three levels of people making decisions on what's right and wrong, or even three levels of areas where Christians might differ. And Mm -hmm. so there's the whole area of of preferences where everybody has preferences. And that can be anything from you know, the color of the carpet in the sanctuary to um, how many worship songs you sing in church or what style of music you use or even what you wear to church, all those things are preferences, and everybody has their preferences. And so we don't ever divide on preferences. We hold our preferences. Sometimes we hold them lightly. Sometimes we even give up what we prefer to help somebody else along. But well, then, I-
1: that might be the kind of thing that Jesus was talking about when he said, a hand is not an eye, is not a foot, that there's great variety within the body, right? Yes. And some people are more comfortable here. Some people are more comfortable here. Some people want more traditional candles and robes. and And some people worship right. with guitars and rock music. But right. all those would be within the body of Christ, but under that preferences category.
2: Right. And then the second category, which is a little bit, maybe creates a little more tension, potential conflict is out of biblical convictions. And this is kind of where the Sabbath observance falls, where people feel like there are certain things within Scripture that indicate, well, you should do this or not do this. But whether or not I mow my grass on the Sabbath is my biblical conviction, you know, whether mm-hmm. or not I go to a sporting event, whether or not I let my kids play in sports on Sunday, that biblical conviction I get to hold and I can implement, but I don't get to impose that on somebody else. So I can say, this is my biblical conviction. I really don't wanna change it, but I don't get to say to you, hey, if you're out you know, working in your garden or tending your flowers on, on Sunday, Lynn, you need to not be doing that because my biblical conviction is you don't do any yard work on Sunday. And you might say, but I meet God in my garden. I experience God. That is rest, that is renewal for me to do that. And so there's this freedom within the body in these areas where maybe christians don't agree but generally we try to not divide on those we try to hold our biblical convictions and respect yeah. other people
1: or not be judgmental to to other right. people right Although when I was in performance-based religion, we used those things to kind of isolate ourselves from other people. That was part of our culture. That made us kind of a step ahead in God's eyes, I think, that we were all the same and that we all did those those kind of things and ticked off those boxes. Um, Okay. Biblical faith does not have that kind of sameness. Um, but people yep. are encouraged to get into the word, to study it for themselves, to listen to different pastors and teachers. You don't follow your pastor as if he's some kind of God, um, right. you listen to what he has to say and you're going to agree with him most of the time, but you're going to check it against the word. And then you might hear a different pastor on YouTube, say something different, and then you're going to go investigate that. Um, yep. the biblical way is, is, uh, more free. Yes.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then that brings us to that third category, which are called the non-negotiables or the absolutes, and these are now clearly scriptural teachings, because with preferences Mm -hmm. in general, the Bible is pretty much silent on our preferences. It just doesn't specify style of music or style of clothing or that sort of thing, how often you celebrate communion within your church or the Lord's Supper. Biblical Mm -hmm. convictions, there's some scripture that can be applied there, and maybe not everybody sees eye to eye on how you apply it. But when we get to the non-negotiables or the absolutes, scripture is really clear on these. And so in general, regardless of the Christian denomination, they've held to these. So things like the fact that there's only one God who's ever existed and who always will exist. And he's triune, he exists as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that would be a non negotiable Meaning, If you don't want to agree with that, then we're probably we may accept you and love you as a person. But to accept you as part of the body, that's now kind of what defines the Christian faith, traditionally and biblically.
1: Which is one of the main things that that throws Mormonism out of traditional Christianity. This would be more than a billion people on the earth, Joel, yes. right? Or is it two <laughs> billion or three billion <laughs> that are Christian? Um, that all so you're talking about eastern orthodox and russian orthodox and catholic and evangelical and protestants these are all people who are bible-based believers and they have the same core beliefs and certainly the nature of god who god is where he came from um, what his characteristics are that's one of those solid things that's non-negotiable
2: Right. And then along with that is the whole idea of the authority of scripture. The fact that the Bible is the revealed word of God, it is reliable, and it, it is the only source of scripture. Um, Not to be that,
1: added to or taken away from.
2: Right. Yes. And then probably um, the virgin birth would be considered one of those other non-negotiables. Salvation by grace. The fact that the way we get into a right relationship with God is a gift that comes through faith in Christ. In other words, we trade all our sin for the perfect righteousness of, of Jesus. And, and that's a gift. It can never ever be earned or merited or deserved in any way. And so that whole idea of salvation by grace alone through faith alone um, is one of those non-negotiables um, in scripture. So,
1: and yet in the LDS faith, everything's non-negotiable. All of those rules and regulations, they call them laws and ordinances, right? And things you have to do to get your temple recommend. those are non-negotiable if you want to uh, please God and earn your way up.
2: Right. And be in good standing within the LDS religious system. There's just, yeah, there's no room for, well, I don't. And it kind of brings me to the one that that drew my attention, which was the whole word of wisdom thing, because I don't know if it was it was it was the second one make adherence to the word of wisdom, optional, not mandatory. And again, this is something performance based religions usually have, um, whether it's food or drink observances, there are certain things where they say, you know, you can't eat this, you can't drink this, you can't take this. And biblical Christianity under the new covenant says, I'm um, no when Jesus, in Mark, the Pharisees are—they're kind of—they're they're criticizing Jesus and the disciples because they're eating without doing the ceremonial hand washing that was required by the mm-hmm. the laws that have been imposed. And Jesus says, "Hey, don't you guys understand? It's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of the heart." You know, and he lists a number of things. And then, Mark, the writer, makes the editorial comment. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. In other words, dietary food restrictions, they're no longer part of the New Covenant. And this is, I mean, you see this throughout in the New Testament. Paul in his writings talk about, hey, some people want to eat everything. Some people really want to restrict. We don't judge the weaker brother. But it's interesting that the person with the most restrictions is the one who's considered the weaker brother. Um, And there's times I think we invert that. But so this whole idea of the word of wisdom, uh, making it optional, yeah, uh, that's how it is within biblical Christianity.
1: So this is not something that biblical people make up or that leaders tell them is true, all of our truth comes from what's in the word. And I have in front of me probably 12 scriptures that say, basically, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. And it actually says to stay away from people, right, who try to tell you, eat this, don't eat that, because it doesn't matter. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man. It's what comes out of his heart.
2: Yeah. So do you want to do you want to give some of those scriptures? I mean, at least read them off and we'll put them in the show notes so people have them to reference because they're very helpful.
1: Sure. The one about uh, not what goes into the mouth defile is is what defiles a man is in Matthew 15. Um, the one Jesus came eating and drinking and the Pharisees called him a drunkard right? <laughs> and a glutton, um,
2: yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: Jesus turned water to wine the wedding host thought the best wine was saved for the last kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking it says in Romans 14 yep. um, and then in Colossians when he's talking about old law, new law, let no one pass judgment on you and questions of food or drink and then in first Timothy, we have a section that talks about that church leaders should not drink a lot of wine, but everything created by God is good and should be received with thanksgiving first Timothy four,
2: two through four. Yeah. So some great verses. So we would, I mean, I, I agree. I think this should be dropped. And I just, if anybody is interested in this whole Word of Wisdom area, um, we obviously can't get into it in this podcast, but I would encourage you to just do some research. I don't know if you have anything on your website, Lynn, but I know at IRR.org, we've got a couple different articles on kind of where it came from, the history of it. And it's a fascinating history of even where this came from and the fact that Joseph Smith did not observe the Word of Wisdom right. that he gave. It wasn't until much later that later prophets decided to establish this as a, mandatory thing for temple worthiness so um one of those fascinating historical pieces to look into
1: well temple worthiness was one of the other things that our author said um instead of these 10 temple worthiness questions we should we should put it down to three and make it very simple and i remember one of them being something like uh are you honorable was that one of the yeah, or... here, was
2: his, here was his three. In case people are interested, it was: Do you believe and worship God and Jesus Christ? Do you love your fellow humans, no matter their race, their sexual orientation, whether they look like or act like you or think like you, treating them with kindness, honor, and respect? And then, are you honest? And he says, "Boom, oh, that was done." Yeah. The last one was
1: to get a temple recommend. You're supposed to say yes to are you honest? I mean, are have any of us not lied and do we never (laughs) tell small lies and do we not avoid telling the whole story sometimes i mean can any human being honestly say i'm honest i'm always honest
2: no i mean and yeah we all struggle with that and and so many times i mean so many people that we've interviewed have talked about how guilty they felt because they lied to um their bishop in their temple worthiness interview when he asked them about either sexual indiscretion or something they'd been doing and they lied to get their temple recommend then they felt guilty about it um even as they were going through the temple so yeah that whole area is is just so fascinating
1: um, mike mike used to give those interviews and he said people would say yes before he even finished the question because they knew that's how you get a temple letter recommend you answer yes to all those questions. So he said he wouldn't even get it out of his mouth. And they're like, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes." He's like, I don't think so. Are you sure? (laughs) In Christianity, we're a little more authentic and we tend to understand that the heart of man isn't always perfect.
2: Yeah. One of the things that he mentions is to cool the religious and cultural pressure for young women and women to go on a full-time mission. And I know um, your sons, I think all of them served full-time missions uh, for the LDS church. Um, Obviously Micah met Jesus on his mission, but Mm -hmm. um, we know from their stories that for a lot of these men and women, young men and women, this is a time of great pressure, great anxiety, great stress. And there is this sense that if they want to measure up within the lds system if they want to progress in within the religious organization even then that serving that mission is an integral part to the whole system of showing that you are worthy showing that you do measure up
1: Yeah, I was a Relief Society president a couple of times, and basically we taught our women to teach their daughters not to date or marry anybody who wouldn't have been a return missionary, right? You want a spouse who's worthy in the church that can take you to the temple and get you to the highest rung of the highest heaven. Um, That definitely is the pressure within Mormonism. So... I don't know what cooling that pressure would look like, letting people make their own choices. Then your 50-some thousand missionaries might go down to 10,000 a year or something. Um, Surely they must get most of their converts from their proselytizing of missionaries.
2: That's been my understanding. So it it would certainly be a big step for the LDS church to take, especially in light of the fact that not that many years ago, they actually lowered the age the requirement, age requirement mm-hmm. for both young men and young women to go ahead and go on a mission so they could increase the numbers of, of missionaries they had. But anyway, again, but just within biblical Christianity, we have people who serve missions. We have people who go out as missionaries, sometimes short-term for just two weeks or several months or even a couple of years to people who, like my parents, they dedicated their whole life to serving in, they were in Venezuela, South America, for like over 16 years. That's where I grew up. And yet at no point was it ever thought that that made them superior for doing that. That was simply God's call on their life. They certainly never believed that that added to their salvation or gave them a better standing with God. And so it's not that Christianity doesn't believe in this idea of, of going out with the message, of being a missionary, of sharing... But again, that isn't what gets you God's approval. That isn't what earns you His favor. You do that because you have His favor, you know of His love, and you want other people to experience that. And so, it's so totally flipped uh, in the systems. Yeah, let works. me
1: tell you how that works. I follow a ministry that I love in the Middle East, okay. Um, and one of the members that runs this ministry lives in northern Israel, but. Um, They send people out into places like Iran and Iraq and um, Afghanistan, right, Mm -hmm. to preach the Christian gospel. Well, once Afghanistan fell, of course, they gave their missionaries the option to leave or to stay and he said there were many that did want to get out and they helped them get out but there were many who said even if it even if i need to give my life for the gospel i will stay here in fact this really surprised me he said in the past we never got to tell the gospel of jesus christ to the taliban because they were in the mountains but now that they're ruling, they're among the people. And so members of the Taliban now are hearing the gospel and some accepting it, right? And so wow. I would think of the LDS missionary system as we only go someplace where it's safe. We're going to keep you corralled. We don't expect you to lose your life. Every once in a while, somebody dies in an automobile accident, and then it's the greatest tragedy. Whereas in biblical faith, we understand that part of being a a Christ follower might be giving your life for Jesus, that there is a persecuted church. There's an underground church in China, and there are underground churches in the Middle East and places where Christianity is not legal. Yes. and that people are willing to go to those places, even if it means prison or giving up, the, up their life, that others might have the freedom that they yes. get
2: through the grace
1: of Christ.
2: Exactly, and within Christianity, and, I, and again, I think I would love to do maybe a whole podcast on this, the whole concept of suffering is not something to be avoided within the Christian life. It's not something that you seek out you know, like masochistically because you, but mm-hmm. Jesus said, if the master suffered, you were the disciples are going to suffer too. And Paul talks about, hey, every time I suffer for the gospel, I fill up, I add to the glory of Christ and the sufferings of Christ because I'm participating not only in the glory of his kingdom and the relationship, I get to participate in his sufferings. And so mm-hmm. suffering is seen as something that's honorable, something that we welcome when it comes, because it ties us into that intimate relationship with Jesus, sometimes in ways that nothing else does. So even that is something that is different from um, the LDS system, where so often any sort of suffering is seen as, as punishment or as retribution from God because somebody isn't living all the commandments, or they're not measuring up, or they're not worthy, and that's why they're suffering. And that's really not the New Testament model at all.
1: You probably heard me tell the story that at, when I was still LDS but reading the Bible and my my eyes were being opened. I was on a plane next to someone and talking to them on my way back to Salt Lake, and they were they were going to uh, Denver, Colorado, I believe. And he was telling me about his ministry. Okay. And and he was telling me about the persecuted church and people that were kneeling on the sands, having their heads cut off for Christ. I'd never heard of this as a Mormon. I'm sorry. This is not something that's glorified in Mormonism, certainly because, partly because Mormons would not believe that Christians have the true gospel, right? Right. Um, But that's a whole different idea than trying to avoid that kind of suffering or believing that if you're doing all the right things and pleasing God. You're not going to be in that place of suffering. Um, that's yeah. quite that's quite a lie.
2: Well, um, I think we're probably at close to time so this has been fun. I think we'll pick it up. There's a couple more that I would like to talk about um, in this in this, these 20 things. Mm-hmm. So let's do a uh, part two of this and
1: and grace and peace until next time Joel.
2: <laughs> so long, Lynn.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We have an exciting announcement. Michael Wilder's new book, Passport to Heaven, is out, and for a donation of $20 or more to the podcast, we'll send it to you. It's the true story of a zealous Mormon missionary who discovers the Jesus he never knew. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the Micah's Book button to get yours. We appreciate your support of the Unveiling Grace Podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.